He tried not to pay any heed to the black fantasies that swirled through his mind. Someone had talked. Word had made it back to Elias, and even now, a score of keepers were closing in on their position to cut them down to the last man. They'd spotted the boy. Already he'd been arrested or beaten in the street until he talked or peppered with quarrels when he tried to run. He'd taken a different route. There'd been some blind spot right at the center of all their carefully laid plans, and the traitor had slipped through like the water in a cracked cup. What is up, you guys? Welcome back to another episode where we last left off. Haytham and Randall are set up waiting to spring the ambush on Elias while Lee waits up in the bell tower on lookout. As always, if you're not caught up, I will have a link to the full playlist down in the episode description, and there's a link to a couple of recap videos so you can see where we are in the story. All right, let me get out of my way. I will catch you guys at the end of the episode. I'm Josh Call, and this is Last Coliseum. The thief sat with his back pressed against the old mortared stone of the belfry, his knee tucked against his chest at the roof's apex. His teeth were grit, and it was several moments after the almighty thunder of the compline bell had faded, after obliterating the evening chorus of crickets and warbling nightbirds, that the ringing in his ears subsided. The breeze tugged playfully at the edges of his cloak, greeting him with a low hum as it swirled between the stone columns that supported the tower's roof. He polished the lens of the spyglass the spider had given him and aimed it at the swirling mists that plumed around the waterfall's base. The watchmen that operated the big winch lifts looked like phantoms in their gloves and boots and heavy overcoats, half hidden in the fog, the lifts' thick chains rising up out of the mist toward the huge water wheel that just barely kissed the Jackson surface at the lip of the falls. He couldn't see the gray keep behind the torch-studded cliff face with its jagged walkways, but he could feel its grim omnipresence high overhead silent, imperious, and watchful. He had his fire steel and the two torches he'd use for a signal, one for the wrong route, two for the right, along with the rest of his effects. His belt of picks was cinched tight around his calf, the rope harness looped around his legs and waist with the serrated hook tucked into his belt within easy reach if, heaven forbid, he needed it. The knife he'd pinched to replace the one he'd lost on the hinter was tied by a length of cord around his left forearm, handle pointed toward his hand. The knife was there only as a precaution. The others had made triply sure that Lee knew to stay well clear of the fighting once bodies started dropping. A turn ago, he'd have been indignant about their lack of confidence in his ability to hold his own in a fight, but after the inn and the fire... He was under no boyish illusion that he'd be anything but a hindrance during the fray. The look on the innkeep's face as he'd tried to squeeze the life out of Lee was seared on his mind. He was quite sure that he didn't want to put himself on the wrong end of that look again. It was not lost on the thief that the further he walked down the winding path alongside the brawler and the spider, the more certain it became that eventually he would. Hence the knife. High on the cliffside, the thick brass chains shuddered as the cage made its slow descent toward the city proper. The lordling's carriage was waiting at the foot of the cliff, a dozen paces removed from the swirling mist at the base of the falls. The driver hopped off his seat and disappeared into the fog to await his passenger. 
He was dressed simply but elegantly. Lee saw as Lord Whiterose materialized, striding briskly toward the carriage as the driver scurried after him. He hadn't taken the colors of either brawler, but was instead clad in a dark leather jerkin that he kept open at the top. A shave and a bath had smoothed out some of the rougher edges that he'd borne when Lee had seen him last. Just thinking about it made the scabs on his cheek itch. There was a short-handled dirk thrust through his belt, and a hand crossbow like the one the jackdaw had menaced Lee with dangling from his other hip, the weapon's tiny arms folded back against the stalk. Lee stood up and pulled himself nimbly into the upper chamber of the belfry, steadying himself with one hand against the stone column. As White Rose disappeared into the carriage, the thief busied himself jamming the torches into the cracks he'd marked out earlier. He fumbled for the fire steel and almost dropped it into the belly of the tower, his stomach plunging past the flint an instant before he caught it. His breath hissed between his teeth as he watched the carriage rattle past some fifty feet below him. White Rose missed the first turn. That was good. A dozen times in the hour he'd been up here, Lee had gone over the three junctions where this wider boulevard intersected with one of the routes the conspirators had marked out for the Lordling's carriage. A moment later, the horse clopped past the second turn, and Lee felt a warm surge of anticipation flare bright in his chest. That left only the last turn, the only route they hadn't blocked with an overturned wagon, at the end of which lay the devil in wait. He scraped sparks onto the first torch, jutting from its crack in the stone, and watched it flare to life. Quickly, for fear the others would misread the signal, he lit the second torch. The big brass bell shifted a little as he slipped past it and hopped down onto the lower part of the pitched roof. The rattle of the carriage was fading, and he flitted across the tiles to the far edge of the rooftop just as White Rose's carriage reached the last junction and juddered right past it. Several moments bled together as Lee stared down at the carriage, its dark shape retreating further and further down the cobbled street. He left the torches burning. The handful of seconds it would take to put one or both of them out wasn't worth the risk of losing his quarry. Instead, he retreated a half dozen steps along the roof's sharp ridge and took a running leap onto the next building. Clay shingles cracked underfoot with the impact, and he rolled forward before scrambling to his feet and darting across to the next rooftop, and the next, and the next. He caught the carriage just as it turned onto another street lined with shop fronts and golden quarter taverns, and as he slowed his pursuit, he consulted his mental map of the city, trying to draw an alternative route to the warehouse. There was nothing he could do to warn Red Ugly, just to hope that White Rose doubled back to their chosen choke point. In the meantime, all Lee could do was squat down on his hunkers as the carriage bounced to a stop, the driver scrambled to open his door, and the nobleman disappeared into an ornate inn with gilt on the door. He recognized the place immediately, his brow furrowing as the door swung shut, cutting off the tinkle of polite conversation and a few strains of music that drifted out. The sheer impossibility of it was overwhelming. Why, out of all the tap rooms in all the city, or even just the Golden Quarter, why would White Rose choose the one where Haytham had been staying? 
His jaw was clenched tight, and he pressed himself flat against the cold tiles as a squad of gray cloaks clanked past, offering an indistinct hello to the carriage driver before they rounded the corner. Lee didn't like the Golden Quarter even at the best of times, where his patched and repatched tunic and breeches drew mistrustful eyes everywhere he went, and the streets glittered with keeper steel as much as with gold filigree. The solace of the coppers was in knowing that by night, the nearest gray cloak was too busy getting his at the neighborhood brothel to be policing much of anything. It was only another minute or two before the door swung wide and Lord Whiterose emerged with a woman on his arm. She was beautiful, with flaxen hair and a dark dress that matched the nobleman's costume. Lee was too far away to hear what Whiterose said to her, but her laugh was sweet and piercing as she slapped his arm playfully and ducked into the carriage. Lee felt a strange, sickish feeling at the bottom of his gut as the driver flicked the reins and the carriage rumbled on, still further from the route to the warehouse. He could still salvage the plan. There was always the possibility, however slight, that they'd double back to the place where Haytham and the others lay in wait. If they did, he'd have to figure out some way of warning them about the woman in the carriage. If he turned back now to tell them what had happened, he'd never find the nobleman again, not unless he staked out the winch lifts and waited for White Rose to come home, if he did at all. There wasn't a chance in hell that they could spring the trap on him there, not without bringing every keeper, knight, and sellsword within a league crashing down on them like the hammer of God. That left him only one option. Follow and watch, and wait for his chance to slip away and report back to the brawler. And between that point and this one, whisper a prayer to green-eyed luck and hope like hell that he was listening. The brawler's jaw was set, his face craggy and scowling like a rough-hewn block of granite. His eyes stung as he glared unblinkingly along the wide sweep of the street, waiting for some telltale sign of the bastard's coming. The torches had been lit over an hour ago. In the days leading up, he'd counted the number of steps from here to the belfry. At most, it shouldn't have taken the carriage more than a quarter of an hour going from the winch lifts to the choke point. But a quarter of an hour was long gone, and the night remained, still and heavy like the hours before a storm. He felt a presence sidle up next to him as the Kadari emerged from the alley. He hadn't said a word to anyone since he'd finished briefing his sellswords, but Haytham could tell that he was nervous. It should have been over by now. He tried not to pay any heed to the black fantasies that swirled through his mind, piling one on top of the other until their weight was almost crushing. Someone had talked, word had made it back to Elias, and even now a score of keepers were closing in on their position to cut them down to the last man. They'd spotted the boy, already he'd been arrested or beaten in the street until he talked or peppered with quarrels when he tried to run. He'd taken a different route, there'd been some blind spot right at the center of all their carefully laid plans, and the traitor had slipped through like the water in a cracked cup. Even the low rumble of conversation between the other sellswords had lapsed into an uneasy silence. They'd checked and rechecked their weapons. Now they just sat and stared at the sliver of river that snaked past their hiding place and waited for the telltale rattle of the nobleman's carriage closing in. A dark flicker of movement caught Lee's eye. He grit his teeth as a figure emerged from a neighboring alley. 
hood-drawn and framed by the moonlight above and behind him. The brawler recognized his swaggering gait even before he threw up a hand in greeting. What happened? He growled, his words nearly swept away under the rush of the river. The boy tipped his hood back as he stepped into the shadows under the eave. His blue eyes flicked between Haytham and the sellsword. He got into the carriage a bit over an hour ago, Lee explained. He was out of breath, his dark hair sweat-pasted to his brow. He didn't take any of the routes we'd marked out. What did you signal? The spider's man rumbled. Where did he go? Demanded Haytham at the same time. The boy hesitated. The Eidolon. Blood roared in Haytham's ears. His stomach dropped. It felt like his teeth were clenched so tight they might shatter. He hardly heard it as Lee looked at the sellsword and explained, It's an inn in the Golden Quarter. I know what it is. The brawler's eyes had turned to glass. His hands shook, balled into fists so tight that his fingernails pierced the leather of his palms and drew blood. He didn't feel it. He was only there for a few minutes, Lee continued, picking up a woman. Who was it? He couldn't bring himself to look at either of them, the thief or the sellsword. Describe her. Blonde? Tall? She's quite pretty? Did she look like she knew him? Lee thought about it. Yes. A guttural rumble rose unbidden from Haytham's chest. He grit his teeth and tried to drag his mind up out of the red current that surged through him. The monks who'd saved his life had tried to teach him to make his thoughts unassailable by the winds of his emotions. He'd never quite managed the trick. I stayed with them because I thought they might double back, Lee continued, oblivious, or that they'd go from there to the warehouse. They ended up at a little grog shop in the coppers. The rusty knave? His breath hissed between his teeth. He recognized the name immediately. The knave had been the old haunt where Haytham and Elias, and later Amatha, used to drink themselves into oblivion on haypenny corn whiskey. They'd been inseparable then. In those invisible days before gold and glory had raised them up and then blown them apart. It looked like they were going to camp there for a while, the thief muttered, so I came back to tell you. You did well, Randall murmured with a curt nod to the boy. Battlefire surged suddenly across Haytham's mind, hot and cupric and opaque, and he turned and slammed a fist into the wall of the shop under whose eave they were sheltered, hard enough to splinter the board. His knuckles left a bloody smear on the wood. Quicker than thought, the sellsword had him pressed against the shop's facade. The brawler's free arm twisted savagely behind his back. Pain flared bright in his wrist and shoulder, and he hardly heard him as the spider's man spat in his ear, Control yourself. His body tensed in the instant before he turned to pounce on the sellsword and rip his arms off. As if sensing this, Randall pressed his arm up hard enough to draw a snarl of pain from the brawler, stopping a fraction of a degree shy of popping Haytham's shoulder out of its socket. We can still get him. He let him go. When Haytham turned, red mist still swirling around the edges of his vision, the sellsword had backed several steps away, just outside of punching distance. He noticed that Randall's hand hovered close to the hilt of his short sword, and he let the matter drop. You know where this grog shop is, la? The Kadari murmured. Yes, yes, Haytham and Lee answered at the same time. The sellsword nodded. 
We have until he leaves to find a new choke point between there and the Eidolon. What about the girl? Asked the thief. What about her? He was looking at Haytham. She's chosen a side. No, she's not involved. The boy looked relieved, but he didn't say anything. We wait until he takes her home. What if he doesn't leave? Haytham was one more word away from jumping on the Kadari and throwing him in the river. Short sword or no short sword, the rest of the spider's men be damned. Randall put his hands up in a gesture of surrender and drawled, It will be more dangerous so close to cliffside. More keepers. She stays out of it, the brawler insisted. The sellsword held his gaze for a long moment. He nodded once and turned on his heel. Change of plans, he told his men as he disappeared into the alley behind the shop. Haytham let out a long, slow breath as the red mist receded from the edges of his vision. You did good, he told the thief, staring out at the white swirling on the surface of the jacksum. Lee bobbed his head in acknowledgement. Get back to the nave, the brawler told him. Follow them on the rooftops. Report back if anything goes wrong. How will I find you? He thought about it. Once they abandoned their position here, he'd have no way of finding the ambushers at their new hiding place if something did go wrong. I'll meet you at Paul's, he said at length, and then I'll buy you breakfast. If they didn't all end up dead or in a cell come daybreak. Before he left, Lee glanced back over his shoulder at his friend. Good luck. He pulled himself up onto the eave and disappeared over the rooftop without waiting for a reply. Thank you guys so much for listening. It really does mean a ton to be able to share this story with you. And a special thank you to everybody who has been following the story since day one. As always, it is a huge help if you leave a like or a comment on the video, but you all know that stuff already. All right, that is enough from me. I will catch you guys next week.